0: Hi, I'm Rajoshi Dash and you're listening to Queerness and Storytelling in India. Today we have with us a friend from Mumbai, Chintan Modi, who is a queer journalist who writes about books. Welcome, Chintan. Hi, Rajoshi.
1: Hi, everyone who's listening.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Chintan, I, I have been reading your uh, reviews especially of uh, various kinds of Books And I know you don't just review books which are centered around so-called queer uh, topics, but I wanted to know from you, what do you make of the current uh, publishing scene um, with regard to books that are about queer experiences? And I'm using the term queer in a very wide sense to not just mm-hmm. talk about LGBTQ, the spectrum but also about experiences which don't fit into uh, like mainstream imagination or sound different. Uh, so I want to know how do you make of it? Do you think these kind of stories are coming up? Are they being, being well read and who are they being uh, published for or written for?
1: Okay so that's many many questions put together. I'm wondering where to start. I think typically when publishers promote a book as queer writing, they are thinking of queer in terms of uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. That is um, not cis Mm hat. The kind of description of queer that you just shared with us is a lot more expansive And I think uh, the publishing industry works with uh, labels, uh, whether it's uh, physical bookstores or, uh, you know, online bookstores. And um, there are all of these lists, right, of crime fiction, of queer literature, of uh, romance novels, of nonfiction. So I think uh, because of that, uh, the definition of Queer in the world of publishing gets a bit narrower than uh, what activists or academics might be used to.
2: Mm. That's
1: uh, one way to respond to your question, but you had other questions too. So you want to remind me what else you wanted
0: me to comment on? No, first of all, thank you for that. So, uh, so I'm I'm also curious how you know how you kind of said that this is something which maybe activists and sort of you know something that's coming from academia. But I'm, I'm also thinking like in terms of just stories being different, like, you know, like stories which don't fit into, let's say, a mainstream ideas of love or desire mm-hmm. or uh, let's say growing up. Do they have a place in uh, the publishing industry? And I think if I'm not mistaken, you largely I'll review English books, right? English uh, writing so do you think they have a place and especially in the current moment do you okay. think there are a lot of books uh and who are they being written for like who is the target reader
1: yeah you're right i uh, write only in english i wouldn't say mainly in english because that would be a lie i speak at home mostly in hindi with my parents but uh, my education has been in english and uh my professional writing is also in English, which means that most of the books, that, all of the books that I write about, are in English. So I like to read books that are written for adults as well as books that are written for children. And I think some of the most amazing queer writing in India is happening in children's publishing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of um, books, pages, editors in newspapers and magazines are. Uh, do not concern themselves with children's literature that much because they think it's not so serious. But I think um, a lot of the really uh, interesting stuff is happening in children's writing. So let me give you this example of a book called Reva and Krishna. It is Mm -hmm. written by uh, Charles Mahajan. Mm They're a a genderqueer writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they specialize in writing books for children. So uh, this is a book about two women, one Muslim, the other Hindu, who are a couple, and they uh, they are raising twin daughters. Mm-hmm. The daughters' names are Reva and Prisha, and the women are called Runu and Pritham. So um they also have a cat, by the way, who's called Sikandar. So that completes uh-huh. the channel. And this book is published by Scholastic. Scholastic is a book, a publisher that does books mainly for uh, children or only for children but I guess they include young adults as well so you know they're like even within the even within the, uh, children's and YA publishing there are a, a whole lot of different age groups so uh, yes this is not a book that you would find in any regular bookstore that you might go to in India but it definitely is there and Scholastic has a good network with schools so I guess that's the route they use to push these books um, but um, do you want me to tell you what the book is about, or will that be too specific since you we have a little
0: time and we can't talk only about one book? No, but I'm excited to hear because I'm, I'm slightly familiar with Mahajan's work, but I haven't read this recent uh book. I, I, I've i sort of heard a lot about it, I have seen a couple of reviews, uh, but I'm really excited because uh, I'm sure you already know this, but uh, Mahajan also wrote the Recent preface, the preface to the Facing the Mirror. It was all originally published uh, in 1999, edited by Ashwinisukhankar, and yeah. it's kind of interesting, like the kind of turns uh, that sort of queer or you know, um, in this case, uh, children's literature perhaps is taking, and the interconnections between these kind of works.
1: And Shah's mahajan is also. Uh, the co-author of a book that Zivan published many years ago. It's called No Outlaws in the Gender Galaxy, mm-hmm. which is uh, based on uh, research done by uh, Labia, the feminist queer collective that is based in Mumbai. Right. So they have done uh, right. Uh, they have written for adults and for children. And um, I, the reason that I find this book interesting is It's not trying to be preachy, it's not, uh, you know, uh, speaking about queer lives in a very obvious way, you know, uh, sort of not saying, oh, you know, please accept us. It's not that kind of book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's imagining a world which is uh, not one way queer people are um, desperate for validation. Right. But it's a world where they have a um, safe, secure uh, place. And, uh, you know, they send their uh, daughters to the school that uh, has orientation sessions for parents um, so that their kids do not trouble these two uh, girls about, you know, uh, why they happen to be part of a family that's
0: different from the norm. Oh, wow. So is this uh, an exception to the larger literature, the children's literature, uh, literary scene in like, you know, in India or do you think that there are other writers who are writing similar stories within, within children's literature?
1: See the uh, I I won't treat this only as a children's book. I would say uh, that you know this should book should be placed in the wider um, uh, discourse around uh, queer writing in India because uh, a lot of queer writing I think tends to be occupied with the coming out narrative. Right, and this book doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's not occup- It's not uh, preoccupied with this. You know, uh, oh, what will my parents think and
2: Uh,
1: I think uh, after the reading down of uh, section 377 of the Indian Penal Code, perhaps publishers are more open to uh, working with books that uh, are not, uh, you know, looking only, uh, looking at queer lives only through the lens of persecution. Okay at least that's my reading
0: so uh, because you mentioned um, you know the reading down of section 377 so yeah, you know as as you know like there has been so much of work that has come out from let's say uh, penguin uh, HarperCollins, collins rupa actually i don't remember specifically uh, rupa but penguin definitely has so many books over uh, like, since I think the economic liberalization of India, like the Hoshang Penguin did same sex love in India as well, right? And I think that came from uh, Paul Grave first, but they may have published the second edition, if I'm not mistaken. But they definitely published Sukthankar's Facing the Mirror and Merchant's uh, uh, Yarana, and also uh, A. Revati's uh, autobiography. But what is interesting for me is that the same publisher also published Anandini Krishnan's um, that transphobic book, I can't remember the name, Invisible Men. And yes, I was wondering how do publishers decide? And I know that this is perhaps not a question that, you know, uh, I can post only you uh, who is who is not exactly, you know, the publisher or the editor. But do you have any, like, because you read so much, I'm wondering, do you sense any kind of editorial decisions or changes that happens when, let's say, the same publisher is publishing something slightly, you know, liberal and even radical or coming up with something which is liberal and transphobic? So how does that work?
1: Hmm. I think your question is really important. I'd like to say first that I haven't read Nandini Krishnan's book, partly because uh, I read the response that uh, uh, trans people have had towards that book. Uh, there were a lot of first-person narratives in various uh, print and online publications about uh, you know violation of consent, about misrepresentation, about
0: Yeah, I think G-Similar is a very good review. So
1: I think uh, that is what, I mean, I have the book, but, uh, uh, you know, what has happened around the book has kept me from reading it. So I don't want to speak about that book specifically for that reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think one of the reasons why um, this kind of um, lack of consistency that you're talking about happens is because uh, Indian publishing houses do not have dedicated queer lists. I think um, Seagull is the only uh, public uh, publishing house that probably does. Seagull has something called the Pride List, okay. which uh, Shondi Roy and Bishan Samadhar are working on. And
0: um, what is what is a list like? What do you mean? It's a queer list or a Pride list? What does that mean?
1: It means that. Um, they are working towards building a collection of books on a particular theme or region or, um, you know, focus area, which means they invest a lot of energy and time into looking for writers um, around that. Mm -hmm. And um, it also means that the people who are involved in it have certain kind of politics and sensibility, even expertise around it so the so when uh, most publishing houses are doing books with queer characters the editor who is working on those may not necessarily have a be queer or have a deep understanding of queer lives mm-hmm. in uh, some parts of the world uh, publishing houses do have what i call sensitivity readers where uh, Someone who is from a marginalized community might uh, uh, be brought on board as a consultant to look out specifically for instances of, say, racism, uh, casteism, homophobia, transphobia, other kinds of, uh, you know, exclusionary, bigoted practices. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that definitely uh, we don't have in India, mm-hmm. but um, it really it really helps, you know, when someone who is uh, queer themselves is involved in the creation of such books. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber Sahel Chaddi is an editor who was with Penguin, and uh, he worked on this amazing book. Written by an Afghan author, It's published in India. Uh, which is this book? I can't remember. Let me find the name for you. So the book is called the novel is called The Carpet Weaver, and uh, oh, the, yeah, the person viewer, who wrote
0: the book uh-huh. is Nimat Sadat. Mm, yeah, 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 it's it's in my it's in my bookshelf. I haven't read that, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah,
1: so I think Ambersai
0: Chatterjee, the editor on this book, did a really good job.
1: And um, the fact that he identifies as gay is, I think, an important thing to keep in mind here because uh, that definitely contributed to the book, I think.
0: But I mean, I, I get what you're trying to say, but because there is that, what what is it called, like the politics of representation or the fact that? This person might be gay, but this might person might also be a lot of other things. And I'm curious, like when we think of uh, the work, the role of the editor, whether it's the editor of like a book or the editor of, let's say, an anthology. I'm thinking of how caste, region, language all play a huge role. And I do remember also um, this um, uh, CFP, the call for. Uh, Poetry that came up when Aditi Angiras and Akhil Katyal, you know, started mm. to sort of share their um, the, the call and the clarifications that they provided with regard to being Cis, with regard to being upper caste. Uh, and I wonder what then the some of the publishers who are kind of approaching these editors, writers, and of course, well-known writers thinking about when they're thinking about creating an anthology, which is also expected to be uh, kind of political, uh, you know, having stories, so-called diverse stories. So I'm, I'm just wondering what kind of decision uh, decisions are being taken and uh, why not then consider people from across, like even people outside India, especially if some an anthology is supposed to Uh, represent uh, South Asia for that matter.
1: Yeah, we must tell your listeners about the book that we are referring to so that they can look it up and so that uh, Akhil and Atti also get some publicity out of this. Yeah. (laughs) You were referring to the book, The World That Belongs to Us, an anthology of queer poetry from South Asia, Mm -hmm. which was published by
0: 2020 HarperCollins a College, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I know this because it's part of my uh, dissertation, one. And okay. secondly, because I have a poem in that. And yeah. he, ah. so, so you're that,
1: plugging your own book, basically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but kind of, uh, I'm trying to be a little critical of how it, the project came to being, not necessarily critical of Akhil or Aditi, but the usual processes of how. Such anthologies come into being, you know, in general, uh, and anthologies which claim to be queer or which claim to not just represent India but also South Asia, as was the case uh, of uh, Hoshang Merchant's uh, Yarana.
1: I haven't read Hoshang's book, to be honest, so I don't want to comment on it without having read it. Mm-hmm. But with Akhil Nati's book, uh, I get what you're saying. Uh, I too heard from other people who are uh, South Asian but not Indian, that they felt that uh, the book was uh, reproducing the geopolitics of SARC, for example, which is a forum where, you know, India is the big brother. So similarly, because India is large in terms of uh, its territory, it gets more space in the book. I mean, that's one way of approaching the book. The other way to think about it is that, you know, there were these two Indian... Writers putting together an anthology, and uh, they wanted to explore continuities between India and India's neighbors. So they decided to broaden the scope and make it a South Asian anthology. Now, uh, the lens really determines whether one is going to look with a critical gaze or with a compassionate gaze, and maybe it's possible to do both. Right. So I'm not trying to defend them here. I mean, I've I've read the book, and uh, I think that um, it has gaps that people might want to look at. But I also am learning more and more to uh, look at what a book is doing rather than what it's not doing. Because, uh, you know, as Amit verma one of the editors I worked with, taught me long ago, uh, he said, Chintan, don't review the book that you want in your hands. Review the book that you are holding. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really powerful because so often we try to project our own desires and expect authors to write books that we want instead of looking at what they have produced and the labor that has gone into it. Um, But I think the other part that you were uh, trying to bring attention to was the fact that uh, uh, when we look at queer, we sometimes get occupied so much with sexual orientation and gender identity that we don't look at caste or uh, class, race, other identities, which uh, determine the experience of being queer for so many people. And, uh, yeah, that is
2: valid, I think. And um,
1: if uh, someone else were to embark on a similar project of bringing together South Asian poetry in English, we would probably land up with a very different set of poets. mm mm-hmm. I think one of the uh, one, uh, if I remember correctly, one of the things they mentioned in the introduction is that uh, there were some people who helped the right. editors yeah. translate yeah. the call for uh, entries into mm-hmm. other languages, and that helped them encounter more voices, which they wouldn't have had the call for entries being only in English.
0: Yeah. And and yeah, there are a lot of translated works. It's kind of wider in. In uh, various ways, and there is also substantial—I won't say substantial, but there's a lot of uh, writers, poets, uh, rather from Pakistan. Um, uh, but uh, just going back to what you said about your well, the Pakistani poets are mostly in the diaspora; they don't live in Pakistan, right? And and that's another, by the way, aspect of like any voice that you know often gets international attention. Usually, you know, often these voices are kind of from the diaspora, like let's say, why is Amitabh Ghosh book more popular uh, than, let's say, someone uh, like someone who who has sort of right, who's writing from within the country. I guess it depends on the publisher and so on and so forth. But I'm curious about what you said earlier about what do you want to see in the book? Because this is something which reminded me of... uh, a panel. Um, I think it was a panel which was uh, from 2018, uh, which had Urvashi Bhataliya, Madhavi Menon, Dhrupa Jyoti, and Nandini Krishnan. And I think that, uh, I think in, in that panel, Menon was making a very similar argument about, um, in, with regard to narcissism. And I kind of thought it was also very casteist, like liberal, but casteist, in the sense that it doesn't acknowledge the ways in which books shape narratives and contribute to a certain kind of culture in our society. Uh, like when you when you read a book, you kind of absorb some knowledge, right? So maybe, let's say a queer book will then help non so-called non sort of LGBT people understand something, but, uh, and they don't have to necessarily kind of see themselves there, which I get. But I'm wondering if there is like a trend of certain books being published by certain people from certain communities. Um, What message does it send to the reader who is not from that community or who has not been represented at all? So so instead of seeing it from the lens of you are looking for something that's not there, I see it as a case of power. And what then, who gets written, who gets published, who are being picked? And who has who then takes the role of the curator or the editor in this case um, mm-hmm. are things which I actually am very interested to sort of you know explore.
1: So I don't. Uh, uh, I mean, what are you are you asking me to
0: respond to something?
2: No, yeah, I was
0: no, I was just making a distinction between hmm. saying okay, this is something I don't uh, like. I, I have to respect the book because this book is not about me or. Uh, because I need to find what this book is trying to do rather than what this book is not trying to do. And let's say when it's about power, when that book represents this kind of power in in storytelling, like in different kind of storytelling, because stories, telling stories are also like, you know, I feel it's like something that, that has to do with power and finding some kind of voice.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean,
1: definitely book, there is. Uh, how do I say it? There is a particular gaze, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, reviewing a book by Saikat Majumdar uh, a little while ago. Um, I don't know if you read that book. Saikat Majumdar's uh, previous book uh, was set in an ashram-like setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a love story between two boys uh, who were training to be priests in the ashram. Have you read that book?
2: I can't remember that.
0: I do remember the the beautiful uh, um, cover page of one of his books, but yeah. Which one are you referring to? The The, the scent I, of God. I I can't remember right now. Yeah.
1: So there's this gorgeous person who is uh, holding a flower. I is yeah, 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 yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking about the Scent of God. That yeah, cover I, is done by that cover has been done by Pinaki De, who has. Uh, I know
2: he was my teacher.
1: Done more than five hundred book covers. He learned yeah. at the Kolkata Literary Meet recently.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so you know that uh, when I reviewed that book, uh, I remember writing that it was a, uh, it was queer fiction with a heteronormative gaze. <laughs>
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: That really uh, riled up the author at that point. And um, the author, in fact, uh, in his column for the LA Review of Books, (laughs) commented on my review. (laughs) And he he was perturbed by the fact that there was an expectation from reviewers now that queer fiction ought to embrace a certain kind of politics and um, uh, represent queer people in a way that uh, did not, you know, uh, portray them as victims. I what I, what I took object. What, I mean, I didn't take offense or objection. Let's say what I what I found uh, a little bothersome when I was reading that book is that um, the writer does not allow the queer characters to. um fully experience each other in the way that um, I would have liked them to. And uh, I think um, the the author felt that I was coming from an activist impulse, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to, uh, the fictional universe to sort of root for its queer protagonists. And I thought, you know, the author was denying them that moment Mm. that they could not be fully queer and the author was playing the you know heteronormative gatekeeper is what I thought when I was reading the book I mean if I read the book again today I might feel very differently I think uh, my reading also came from uh, uh, the personal battles that I had at that time I think I was struggling with self-acceptance so I think I was probably you know Projecting uh, my struggles onto the author that I was reading—it's possible. I mean, uh, the mind works in strange ways. Right? So I don't want to completely blame the author either. <laughs> but uh, this is what I wrote at that point, and I found it very interesting to see that you know the author
0: was uh, how the author. Uh, Reviewed my review. Mm. <laughs> that's that's a very interesting dialogue. I mean, I will revisit that because I think I remember reading your review, but I didn't remember. I don't remember reading his review of your review. I mean, uh, that's uh inter afterlife of of the book itself. But I want to kind of. Uh, ask you again go back to that comment that you made about sort of projecting uh, and i'm sure the listeners must be thinking oh my god raja she's kind of stuck with this point but i am actually kind of fascinated by that fact that people take object at that projection especially because uh, a book is something that has to be bought especially if you're, if you're thinking of a book which is like published by uh, you know these multinational sort of you know, big Hmm. publishing houses. So I'm making an investment in that. Not always, of course, to see myself in that, but to kind of maybe learn about different stories. And I wonder if there is a disappointment because we don't see enough uh, different kinds of stories who talk about different kinds of hierarchies, different kinds of people. Um, And I wonder, because even with regard to popular like representation, like, you know, like films and everything, we talk about stereotypes. And I guess... Often that's because not just because we have some expectation, but but because there are there are no other like you know stories where uh, uh, there is something else like where people are talking about uh, not just being a victim or a survivor, but something which is more complicated maybe, and the kind of struggles mm-hmm. that people go through.
1: Mm, I like the kind of questions that you are asking me. So I do like Saikat as a writer. Uh, in fact, he's, um new book The Middle Finger is very interesting it is a queer novel in a very non-obvious way and uh, I don't uh, know if you have read it but you should because it's about um, uh, a professor who is um, of Indian heritage teaching in the US and at some point of time she comes back to teach in India so while in the US she has an identity of a minority of a uh, brown person
2: of wow, color uh,
1: and uh, when she is in india she has the identity of a savarna person right so uh, you know uh, how that affects the relationships that she has with people around her is uh, some something that he has explored quite well and one of these relationships in india is with another woman who is not of the same caste background and uh, is not uh, proficient in English in the same way, does not have the same kind of uh, access to power and privilege. And uh, these distinctions shape in a major way how the queer relationship plays out. So, uh, yeah, I think you might want to look into that. Yeah. uh, um yeah. no i don't want to lose a thread of what you brought
0: up earlier you no, but this is a this is a very good uh, recommendation especially because i mean i don't think people kind of stop being savarna when they move i mean i continue to be savarna here in the sense that that has allowed me access to education and uh, like here of course uh, we talked about south asia earlier as a as a kind of construct but and here if you look at south asian studies or uh, the work that is coming out—it's so much dominated by not just Indian people. When I say Indian, yeah. it's largely uh, upper caste Savarna Indian Hindus, right? So Bengali, so yeah, a lot of that is Bengali too. But even uh, even whether it's literature, economics, it kind of fascinates me that people say that people often tend up identifying as person of color, but they don't take into account like. Uh, the privileges and and these are like well-known scholars, you know, Spivak and all all the fancy post-colonial scholars. But uh, but I would also like to read this because I'm thinking of the recent uh, short film um, by Neeraj, uh right? Gili Puchi, which was part of the Ajib Dastan.
2: Uh, I haven't movie. seen
0: it yet. Yeah, you should watch it because it it's uh, it I I love how it offers a critique of the a very romanticized idea of intercaste uh, desire because it keeps coming in uh, raj rao's work it keeps coming on hoshang merchants's uh, works earlier also uh, but then i felt it was also class in most cases but yeah but i would love to see how this book talks about that
2: i think
1: um, 11 ways to love uh, one of the books anthologies that came out a few years ago um has a beautiful um, essay by dr Jyoti, which looks at the nature of intercaste desire that's something i would highly recommend reading mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know going back to the question that you put forth which was about you know projection of uh, desire or uh, aspiration onto the novels that we read i think part of it is because um We seek comfort when we read books and uh, the sense of safety that we do not feel in homes, in workplaces, uh, in uh, public spaces. We hope that we have that at least when we are reading books. And uh, the denial of that pleasure, of that comfort, of that safety when we are reading can be jarring. It can be a huge letdown, uh, which uh, manifests as anger towards the author, I think.
0: Mm. Mm. That's that's a very important point. And I'm thinking that actually makes sense because the we... Is kind of an interesting pronoun because uh, my we, your we, and someone else's we would be so different, and that's. A and question. so
2: many
1: people, so many people recognize themselves as queer when they find uh, resonance with a character in a book or uh, mm-hmm. in a film. Uh, before that, they might never have met someone who was queer. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think. Uh, that is one of the reasons why uh, queer people attach so much uh, worth and value to, uh, you know, uh, representation,
0: in fiction, and cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and i you know, even like stories like which are very not very like, <laughs> like political. Like even the Anil Kapoor film, uh, Sonam Kapoor film. I forgot the name of the film. You're talking about a girl. Uh-huh. I remember I wanted. I told my aunt here, who stays here, and we were not in touch. We were uh, kind of, she was kind of, you know, excommunicated in some ways because uh, she kind of violated the so-called violation of the Hindu family around various kind of whom to marry, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So she made those transgressive choices in her life. Uh, and i'm really sort of proud of the way that she has done that but when i asked her to sort of, you know watch this film uh, with her with her very brilliant daughter she was a little uncomfortable she said you know like i don't want her to be exposed to you know uh, something that has to do with lesbian uh, desire so early in her in her life and i found that mm. weird because she's anyway being exposed to you know like heterosexual desire love and everything uh, and it's not as if she won't be exposed in school, but it's just kind of, uh, and the daughter is not that young. She, I think she was 12 or something when I met her. So, so I just found it interesting that level of discomfort that some viewer and reader might, might have with a certain, uh, let's say, a book or a film, and that mm. might explain why certain books or films don't get uh, you know the kind of attention that often they deserve because the money is in perhaps some people's pockets and that might be a case mm-hmm. i'm assuming
1: so the aunt you're mentioning i
0: wouldn't write her off as a homophobe no no I that's not think... what i'm saying she loves me yeah. and she loves the choices that i have made but mm-hmm. i'm i'm saying that there is a discomfort and that is not okay. yeah so that's what i was insisting
2: I
1: think parents also, uh, especially parents who have uh, faced uh, exclusion because of their choices, uh, try to uh, create a safer environment for mm-hmm. their children. They do not want their children to go through the same stuff. But in trying to protect, uh, they also deprive them of uh, the kind of learning they would have right. if they were not so further. Uh, you know, the book, the, the film that you mentioned, ko dekha to aisa laga, that reminds me of a recent children's book uh, called Ritu Vets Chandni, which reminded me of the movie. Oh. I don't know if you've uh, read that book. It's no. by uh, someone called Ameya Narvankar.
2: Uh-huh. This
1: book, uh, Ameya is um, someone who was a design student and um, he identifies as gay when he was at IIT Bombay. His um, thesis was um, looking at representation of queer people in um, books and films. And eventually he had to create a narrative of his own. So uh, he came up with a book that he wrote and illustrated. He tried very hard to find a publisher in India. This was uh, before Section 377 was read down. Mm -hmm. He did not have any success with Indian publishers. Uh, he got the book published by Yali Books, which is a publisher in the U.S. that does South Asian books. And um, earlier this year, uh, Penguin decided to publish it after it got it got published in the U.S. So this is a story of uh, two women getting married. One is called Ritu, and the other one is called Chandni. Hmm. Which to me is an extension of the dream that Sonam Kapoor's character has in mm-hmm.
2: Eklarek to
1: you remember that sketchbook that she has where she yeah, sketches yeah yeah yeah. It's a yeah. with the woman when she grows up right. these two women are
0: taking it's a very literary places. it's a very literary film if you think about the film because I was thinking of Romeo and Juliet you know that the play within the play format when I was watching the film but uh, I can see yes. that we have spoken for all more than 30 minutes so I don't want to you know sort of keep you for long so are they Uh, Are they more careful when it comes to children's literature? Is that what is happening, you think? It's possible. That could happen because um,
1: adults tend to think that uh, children are not old enough to handle complexity. Hmm. But um, it's also possibly because this book talks about uh, same-sex marriage, right? The Hmm. term that we tend to use in India. To talk about what in the US is called marriage equality. Mm. So uh, after um, the fight against Section three seven seven, I think
2: uh, legal um, uh,
1: experts from uh, LGBTQ movements in India have, uh, you know, moved towards looking at uh, petitions for legalization of same sex marriage. At least in some, yeah. Uh, groups have yeah. i think this book probably helps prepare the ground for that as well because you know if um same-sex marriage can be talked about in a children's book why can't families accept it
0: i think that could be one way to push this forward wow that's uh, a great book. insight I, I i have a feeling i should have talked to you before finalizing on my reading list because you know you have such great knowledge about the the field uh and i wish i had sort of you know shown you my like reading list so at least i would have these some of these books i do have some of these books anyway but you know uh, quite of these uh, you know these children's uh book literature books so-called children's literature book are not something that i have in my uh, list and i feel like i should have done that especially given the so much of like you know the celebration around uh not just section 377 but also about like different kinds of rights which are very focused on upper-caste gay and lesbian uh, people. Uh, hmm. so.
1: But my favourite, uh, I hope we before you end the podcast, uh, we can also talk about uh, Radiant Fugitives, the book that I had told you about, which I think uh-huh. is one of the most exciting uh, queer novels to have been published in India recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Nawaz Ahmad, who is based in the US, but... Uh, uh, used to live in chennai earlier
0: have Mm -hmm. you read that book it was published you you should stop asking me that
1: (laughs) okay no i mean i i ask people have you read that so that i'm not uh, assuming that they haven't read you know because Mm -hmm. i might end up telling them the plot summary when they
0: already know no you, you told me about this book and i know it got some award i think did you i think you reviewed it as well I, I reviewed it for Open Magazine. I don't know if it won an award,
1: but it was published in the US, I forget by whom, but in India it was published by Westland, the publishing house. Uh, it
0: just closed. Just
1: Amazon closed. shut down recently. Yeah. No, the reason why this book is amazing for me is um, because the queer character in this novel is a... Uh, Woman who we know about through her relationships with women, and also through her uh, relationship with a man that she is uh, going to have a child with. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, she is um, abandoned by her uh, by uh, her by her father, and uh, she's grown distant from her mother and her sister. But on the other hand. Uh, you know, the the queer activist spaces that she was part of um, have also uh, sort of uh, started shunning her because they think, you know, how could a woman be thought of as a lesbian decide to be with a black man? Hmm. And uh, I say black man because his race, racial identity is important in the novel. Right. So she is, you know, called a hasbian. And uh, she's rejected by the people that she used to, you know, find the community with. So I, I like the book because it does not portray uh, activist spaces or community spaces in some sort of, you know, romanticized light. It right. looks at uh, how, uh, you know, uh, pettiness, jealousy, um, gossip. Is a huge they role. harm people even in uh,
0: spaces that are supposed to be nurturing.
2: Right.
0: Actually, this reminds me, I don't know if you've read this, uh, A. Revitis, uh, Life in Trans Activism, uh, that kind of also talks about the various challenges of doing activist work mm-hmm. and biases within feminist work. So I find, I find like resonances, also the entire history, of course, here uh, about the black feminist history kind of also is critical of certain kinds of activist work that kind of sort of sticks to labels uh, or doesn't give the space to people to have these multifaceted desires and identities even.
2: And uh,
1: that reminds me of uh, the... Uh, outrage against uh, Kamla Bhasim not so long ago uh, because of the statements Kamala Bhasim made in a workshop about uh, uh, feminism and you know um, you remember that right?
0: I remember her video which was circulated where she was saying some very obviously transphobic stuff so I didn't regret that she was being called out for that uh, but I don't know like which one you're referring to, but I do remember yes, that. Yes, I'm re-
1: I'm re- I'm referring exactly to that, and uh, I'm saying this because uh, while referring to uh, Revati's book, you mentioned that you know uh, spaces that are constructed as liberatory that are, end up uh, gatekeeping as well, right? Right. And uh, I mean, Nesar Gidavi again talks about this book in queer activism in India where um, she writes about this major uh, women's studies conference where uh, uh, lesbian women were told by heterosexual women that you know, by focusing on uh, sexual orientation as the side of politics, they were taking away from the real issues that women were facing, okay. that they were trying to create uh, some kind of schism within the women's movement and then you know lesbian women had to sort of demand that there would be a lesbian women's space uh, only space uh, at the conference where they could talk freely about their issues so that they were not shut down by the other women yeah so this is this this kind of uh, stuff happens uh, everywhere uh, yeah. whatever kind of movement you look at even within i mean uh, you know uh, Uh, Sometime back, I was working on this article around um, ableism in pride marches. Mm -hmm. And when I was uh, listening to stories of different people who organize pride marches and uh, persons with disabilities who go to pride marches, they were telling me about how much is not taken into account while organizing these because. uh, people with physical disabilities as well as psychosocial disabilities mm-hmm.
0: uh, are invisibilized in a lot of uh, queer spaces. Right. And I remember I think only it was later. I mean, I was in Delhi for five years. So when I saw some of these uh, rickshaws and, you know, those, uh, those I forgot what those vehicles called, which were made part of the walk. To E-Rickshaws. Akramas. E-Rickshaws yard. Yeah. Uh, but before, uh, I want to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. But before that, I want you to tell me what is your next, What is your, what are you working on? I know that you are also an educator with, an expe- with a lot of experience in education. I have worked as a school teacher before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm not teaching right now, though I do think that um, my journalism too has an educational aspect. Yeah. I think by throwing the spotlight on uh, certain kinds of work that are happening, uh, journalists can play a role in educating Mm -hmm. readers. Uh, I mean this not in a patronizing sense, but in, uh, uh, in terms of drawing their attention, inviting them to dialogue, provoking them to consider perspectives that they may not have. Mm-hmm. So for so for example, uh, recently uh, there was this day called uh, World Autism Day, and I was writing a piece on uh, books that people could read to learn more about the lives of people with autism. I found one book that was about experiences of people who identify as trans and autistic. That was uh, quite amazing because uh, we tend to, uh, activists tend to do their activism in silos, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you either work on disability rights or you work on trans rights. Right. So that kind of book, I think, is really important because it compels us to look at experiences of people who uh, are not part of uh, either, either just arts, this yeah. or that community. They, you know, their experience includes both. Hmm. So I, mean, I, yeah. think, uh, I think as a journalist one can
0: um, you know, um, find things like these and okay, educate you send me the link to this article, maybe I can also share it when I share the podcast uh, because I know so few uh, scholars or journalists or even writers who I, I know like, I think if I'm not mistaken Shayan Bracharya from the Minnesota and from Kolkata works around Trans politics and disability, um, and of course, in some ways, in certain countries like in Bangladesh, transness, transgender, third gender, these are kind of also equated with visible, visible bodies with disability, which is a very different kind of you know uh, politics. But I'll be I'll be very grateful if you can share it with me. And do you have any final thoughts for the readers? You gave us so much, like in terms of the you know what to read and and how to read and I'm I'm sure I was also trying to impose my own politics now and then uh, by sort of you know interrupting you but I'm so sorry for that but I was thinking like uh, is there anything else and uh, can we follow you somewhere I know you are not on social media if I'm not mistaken but can we go somewhere and follow your work? Uh,
1: So firstly, you don't have to be sorry. This was meant to be a dialogue. It was not about me being the star of a show. So uh, I'm glad you asked what you did then, you know, you made the interventions that you did. I think uh, I'm at a different place in my life right now. Um, uh, I do not uh, feel the same kind of rage that I did earlier. The pandemic has softened me in some way, I think. And You know, when there are things that annoy me, I uh, try to pause for a moment. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I think uh, I might have um, missed out on some of the um, kind of structural analysis uh, that I would have focused on otherwise. I'm glad you spoke about what you did because um, I may have, you know,
0: completely um, ignored those parts. No, I get. I was not like critical of the response itself. But, you know, like, because as a reader, maybe sometimes I read more critically as maybe than I would if I were reading only for leisure. But I feel like even when I'm reading people like bell hooks and, you know, people who are talking about conversation and beloved communities and importance of dialogue, I also feel that often uh, and the calling in part where you talk to people but I also feel like that is only possible if the other person is ready to have that conversation, and there needs to be a level, you know, playing field. Um, and I feel like that's like, that is not that the conversations also can become hierarchical and it can be a one-way, uh, you know, street.
1: That, that's true. I agree with you. I'm glad you uh, bring in Bell Hooks. We he lost her recently. Yeah. But we did not lose her in the sense that books are with us yeah, yeah. but i'm reminded of this um video where bell talk, talks about her first encounter with Thich Nhat Hanh, the um, vietnamese zen master who also passed away recently and uh, you know bell hooks recounts the um, moment when we first met and uh, she was filled with anger because something had uh, gone wrong. I think it was probably um, um, something with the relationship that she was in. Um, um, she was she was uh, wondering, you know, why when she was meeting this um, Zen master, she was so uh, feeling so troubled, mm-hmm. uh, and she was carrying all that anger within her. So he just told her, you know. Um, Hold that anger within you. Use it as compost for your garden.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a lovely line.
2: Yeah, and um,
1: I think um, a lot of the pain, the anger, the sadness that we feel is not to be overlooked or to be cast away, but uh, to be sat with. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, uh, we can transform it into something, uh, whether it's poetry or... um, you know, um, grassroots work with communities or, you know, um, uh, art projects, uh, various things. I think people are doing that all the time and uh, in ways that are unsung, you know, books tend to, um, the written word tends to be privileged in some way, right? Uh, But uh, there are people who are doing uh, things quietly all the time.
0: Yeah. And it's a great note to end our podcast. I'm... I'm Will reminded- oh, you
1: ask me where people can follow me?
0: Sorry, I forgot to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where? Tell us.
1: So, currently, I'm not on social media. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can uh, ask Raja Rishi for my email address. So Thank you so much for this conversation. I had fun. Um,
2: this is
0: past <laughs> midnight, but uh, yeah, this is a so, good way yeah. to
2: end my day, I
0: think. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful to you for actually staying up late and talking to me. And I, I love I love this conversation and the way you ended touching upon uh, anger. And I'm reminded, like I was saying, Audre Lorde's work. Uh, I'm reminded of a lot of uh, uh, artists, writers like Urmila Pawar. Uh, Obama and all uh, who have written uh, life narratives about. And, and of course, the recent work, activist work that are happening across just in U.S., in India, uh, whether and the protests, of course, where anger has been again used. I'm thinking of farmers' protests. I'm thinking about the CAA protests and the power of rage to actually create communities and bring bring change and maybe even transformative justice. So thank you so much.
1: And <laughs> can I can I can we squeeze in one last book recommendation? yeah Danish's yeah, Love and Reparation," and I do avidly follow Danish's work. I think this book is beautiful because there. Firstly, there we don't really have that many um collection that many or maybe even any collections of plays about queer lives in India. This has two yeah. plays yeah. that Danish put together. Um, And um, it's also um, related to the PhD thesis that he's doing, where he looks at both love and uh, reparation uh, through um, the law, Mm -hmm. uh, through court proceedings, and also through uh, texts, written texts, as well as uh, texts that are performed. So, uh, Queen Size, the play that... uh, mandeep parekhi did in Delhi yeah. is one of the main texts that he's looking at yeah but yeah you know we've gotten into podcasts more again we were supposed to conclude sorry
0: i just <laughs> meant to <laughs> no that's, that's again important text it's an important text
1: yeah. danish's book is amazing it's called a the theatrical response to section 377 litigation in india mm-hmm. it's actually part of the pride list that i was referring to earlier and you know Seagal has produced this book with a lot of love. I hope it um, gets more readers in India. Danish doesn't live in India, so he hasn't been able to do that many book events. But I hope uh, this book reaches a lot of people, at least through your podcast.
0: Yeah, I can see that you have a soft corner for Danish because you chose to end your the you know end with it. And I, yeah, I would strongly recommend, in the sense that I haven't read the book, but I have good uh, books need to be
1: supported. Go read, all the people I've mentioned. <laughs>
0: I have, I have heard uh, and, and seen their kind of reading uh, performance, which uh, was which also done by Vikram, Vikramaditya Sahai, uh, Akhil Kang, and uh, a couple of other people I can't remember. Anyway, uh, thank you so much, Chintan, for uh, doing this for me. And I'll share this with you and of course others as soon as it is ready.